0: Footy to start, when I was a kid, Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage came together in the WWF as the most unlikely tag team. Two stars, so big individually, you could never imagine them sharing the billing and the spotlight. And then when they did, they were dubbed the Mega Powers. It was spectacular. It was defining. It was brief. When I think about Max Gorn and Brodie Grundy together, I can't shake the image of the Hulkster and the Macho Man sharing one corner. It's happening. The two best ruckmen in the comp in the same team, and it starts for real on Saturday week when Melbourne begin their 2023 season. On Demons Membership Day, we're about to talk to Brodie Grundy. You've already heard from Max Gorn.
2: He's been my rival for 10 years, but I didn't realise how good he was in that 10-metre square radius probably very similar to Nick Nat in that way, that he's just, his repeat efforts is phenomenal. He can have, when we play against each other at training, he can have five or six touches in the space of three or four seconds, and I thought I was on top, and then bang, he's right back on top, so um, that's a serious strength his. He's quick, he's as quick as our mids. Yeah, that's little things you don't sort of pick up on game day when you're up against him once a year. I've been involved in games where the two rucks doesn't necessarily work, but I've got no hesitation. I'm really excited to have him on. I've, I've, I mean, there'll be, there'll be games that doesn't work, that potentially won't work straight up, and then we might be right under the gun. But I think over the due course, I think it'll, it'll work. Rivals
0: become allies. What a glorious sports story this is. Brody Grundy, hello and welcome.
2: Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me on the pro round this morning.
0: How are you making the adjustment from Max, Max Gorn being the great rival of your career to about to suit <laughs> up together for real?
2: Oh, mate, it's funny, isn't it? It's, um, you know, your intro was uh, was really interesting just to listen to as a fan of the game, let alone, um, you know, to actually be uh, the person that you're talking about. It is, it is bizarre in, in many respects, but I'm super excited. It's, um, it's a fresh change and a great opportunity to, you know, write some history and be a part of a, a really strong team.
0: So we've been able to watch the documentary and then I've, I've heard bits and pieces from you, Brody, just coldly tell us why ultimately Melbourne?
2: Yeah, look, it's, it was an interesting one. It wasn't something that I thought, um, you know, heading into the 2022 season, that that would be a decision I'd have to make, but um, look, it it just boiled down to um, their presentation was, was all class. Um, Max was in the, was in the room, um, Richo and, and Simon and um, just their vision as a club really stood out. And, and obviously, <coughs> sorry, um, I'm really well settled in Melbourne and um, yeah, trying to set up a life here. So um, that made things really easy for, for me and my partner.
0: What sort of relationship had you had previously with Max Brody? Oh, I remember, you, you shared the stage on a night at the All Australians when you were both in that side, and um, there there's, there was a lovely dynamic between the two of you. Notwithstanding that oh, those Queen's Birthday matches are, are sort of so big in your careers.
2: Yeah, look, um, it's been it's been really it's been great. Look, to be honest, I've I've really enjoyed my time so far, and Max is a really charismatic um, person. I'm sure, as you've would have had him on the program this morning, by the sounds of things, he's. Um, he's great fun to be around and as a teammate now, um, I'm learning lots from him individually as well. Give us an insight into
0: that. What, what have you, what have you observed and learned so far?
2: (laughs) Oh, obviously his, his aerial marking is, uh, I think his number one strength. It's a real asset for, for him personally and us as a team. So, you know, just picking his brain and, and um, you know, he'll, he'll, uh, he had a training drill a few weeks back where he just, I'd never seen anything like it. And um, I was, <laughs> I was unfortunately playing on it. So uh, it, it wasn't too good, but to, to be able to then go into the change rooms and um, you know, I'm not, I'm not that proud that I can't then ask him, Hey, what do you think in the, in these situations? And um, you know, that's the opportunity I've got now is to actually learn um, from Max and, 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 vice versa. So um, I think where we are in our careers, uh, personally we 're really open and, and really keen to you know chase continued long term success. will it work i I hope so yeah look we're really optimistic about it and um so far in the preseason we're you know it's a, we're, we're tempering our expectations but we're having heaps of fun um as individuals and within the team so I think that's the most important thing and for me when I'm having fun playing footy it's it's usually when I'm playing my best can I ask you about the
0: the ego side of it and whether you had to face up to the idea of not being the out and out number one which you could have been at almost any other team across the league and, and where that sort of fitted in what you were thinking and whether that's something that I don't know as you get more mature you're just happy to bury that
2: Mm, it's really interesting, Jared. Um, it's a great, great question. And, you know, as athletes, we, we all have an ego and it's something that you need to temper from time to time, or it's something that you need to wake up, um, and use it to your advantage. But, um, for me, it was actually a, a sign of, of Max actually, you know, being so encouraging about me coming across that I, I thought that was a really good show of faith and, um, we were able to meet in the middle and, you know, he's obviously been a, a champion player for a, a very long time. As he likes to remind me, he's got six Australian <laughs> jackets. So uh, it was, it was more a, a show from his side that he, he, he wanted me to come in and play with him. And um, I think, you know, the Melbourne footy club they've made that dynamic work in the past. So there'll be an element where, you know, you know, I'll spend less time in the rock and, I'm okay with that so you know it's just the evolving nature of my career personally and professionally and um, I think that comes with age Jared. so um, yeah I'm maybe a little bit more wiser and get to spend less time um, you know bashing and crashing Yeah, might be a good thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah are you eager to explore what else you might be in various places on the ground?
2: Yeah well I miss so much of last year and actually just coming back into the season training and and getting involved um, in and around the stoppage or forward. I just, I just remember just thinking, Oh God, I can actually play footy. You know, you forget what it feels like. Um, So I'm just seeing it as a really fresh slate and opportunity for me to reinvent myself in many ways. And, um, you know, to be able to, I don't think I've ever started a game forward and I've, um, I was doing that in our, some of our preseason games, and um, so, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm just really excited and seeing it as a fresh start in, in you know, all respects.
0: So, w- will it be a big moment when you run out onto the MCG in the Melbourne Guernsey for real on on Saturday night? Is that a is that a big moment in your life?
2: I think it is. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's certainly a a changing of the changing of the chapter, isn't it? Um, you know, people, even my family, just saying to me still, um, you know, my face and my, my, uh, my name is just, you know, synonymous has been with Collingwood for the last 10 years. So they're still getting their head around it, but they're super excited and I'm really excited. They're all coming over for the first game and um, really on board and um, really looking forward to what we can do this year. Was there a sense of hurt that you
0: had to work through Brody, through the through the trade period, through maybe before that, or even uh, in your in your travels to Morocco, to to just um, get through what what's something that you hadn't uh, chosen for yourself, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I think I had a lot of time to to process um, what was going on because I wasn't playing. It was actually, I think it was actually probably a good thing, um, considering the circumstances, that I was able to be quite level-headed and, and have that perspective about the situation and able to process that over, you know, as the season was unfolding. Um, and there was a lot of unknowns throughout that period, but as things became more, um, revealed themselves, I was able to just take that in my stride and try to, try to do it as professionally as I could. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we do exist in an industry that is a, a business and... Um, you know, I'm I'm studying a masters of of business administration. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to be able to think that I can put on that hat and and understand that. But you know, having said that, you, you do play a long time at one club, and you know it does take time to make that adjustment. But coming back from my off season, I thought that was really important for me to get away and to be able to then come back, draw a line in the sand, and almost start afresh. It felt like I was an 18 year old kid, sort of coming in and and learning the the faces and the names and the culture and the ways of working of the Melbourne Football Club. I felt um sort of really rejuvenated in that in that respect. So it was nothing but um excitement as soon as I uh as soon as I walked in the door.
0: So so the analytics so you can rationalise it on the business side of things. Did you have a day because that the contract you signed, I imagine, would have settled in your mind, okay, so I'm I'm Collingwood for the rest of my days i we'll never have to address that again. Did you have a day where you go, how the hell is this happening to me? <laughs>
2: yeah look, um, yeah, for sure, yeah, obviously you have those you have those moments, but um, there's light and shade in everything, and that was actually Nathan Buckley's one of his favorite sayings actually there's light and shade in everything, so um, <laughs> and I find myself saying that exact quote, so um, I think everything happens for a reason, and you know, I really loved my time at Collingwood um, It gave me a tremendous opportunity as a player to to play you know a really key role in a, in a great team and really developed me as a person, as a player, but um, yeah, like I said, I'm just so looking forward to what we can do now in a new look outfit and, and me having a new role. I think it's, it's really exciting and will challenge me to you know reinvent myself a little bit and um, see if I can contribute by hitting the scoreboard, which is really exciting.
0: You're the fresh eyes at Melbourne. So they won a flag. I think they had a year where, uh, well, they went ten and zero, and then it didn't pan out the way that they would have imagined. From there, it looks to me like the team is playing with a, a vengeance early. How would you um, describe the the hunger, perhaps, that you've walked into? Is it is it tangible? Is it noticeable?
2: Oh, Jared, absolutely. As soon as you know, me and Lockie Hunter are chatting about it um, consistently, uh, as we've come in and. Um, you know, you you can't help but just be astounded, really, by the the expectation and the level of attention to detail and and everything that the team does. I mean, largely the way AFL industry operates, the um you know the equalisation and such, the operations are, are pretty similar. But in terms of the team and and just the little dynamics, um I've, I've noticed there there is a difference, and um I can see a real a real uh, Work ethic um, and excellence—you um, know, excellence is one of our values—and um, you know, they certainly hold themselves to a really high standards. So um, it's been—it's been good in that respect to be able to come in and have a—you know—essentially almost a year off playing footy and be whipped into shape. It's been a really solid pre-season for me. So um, hopefully, I'll be. Uh, as fit as I can be for this season
0: have you has you have you physically stood up to that rigor do you feel in in great shape do you, are you in the shape that you would like to be in hitting a season
2: yeah i think i i can i couldn't be in any better position than i am at this point in time um given the the loads that we've done and and the intensity in which you know this team trains that is something i haven't been exposed to i don't think so um, I'm able to get through that and And um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it unfolds over the next, you know, short term to medium term. And and hopefully, um, you know, I can continue to be exposed to these training volumes and it can hold me in a really strong stead going forward.
0: And what did you find in the, in the deserts of Morocco, Brody? You are a great traveler and you've shared that with us before is uh, what was this that you were searching for? What did you experience?
2: Oh mate, it was fantastic. Have you ever have you ever got there? Not there, no. No. So it was a part of the world I hadn't been to. I hadn't been to that continent before. So I thought it was just a, a great a great uh starting point as a bit of a gateway in, into Europe because it's so it's so close. Um but just the the history and the, the culture, uh it, it was amazing. We had a tremendous guide. I I went there with Intrepid Travel and they're real uh sustainable leaders in, in travel. So it was great to be able to go along there and get embedded in some local communities and go into some houses and have you know authentic meals cooked for you and go into the desert. It was, yeah, it was spectacular and um, something that I really relish in terms of my time away and gives me great perspectives.
0: Terrific to hear. It's great to catch up with you, Brody. The very best of luck for what's to come. It, it's going to be fascinating on so many fronts. It's great to have you with us on Melbourne Membership Day. Get double the membership value today. Visit membership.melbournefc.com.au. The golf. So the Players' Championship has been regarded as the fifth major. It's decimated because of the defections to live. The defending champion, Cam Smith, our very own, is not there the commissioner, Jay Monaghan, was part of a very lengthy press conference today, almost sort of state of the nation stuff. Here's Rory McIlroy, Jay Monaghan and John Rahm on the absence of Cam Smith and key players from this, the Players' Championship. Would it be better if the defending champion was here this week? Absolutely. But he made a decision that he felt was, was the best thing for him and and you know, he knew that decision was going to come with consequences, and, and one of the consequences is uh, is right now not being able to play on the PGA Tour. Listen, Cameron Smith
1: had a great performance in 2022. He, he was a, a deserved champion. Um, and, you know, I think as I look to this week and I look at, you know, the field that we have here and the strength from top to bottom, I think when we leave here on Sunday night, we're going to crown... Another deserving champion. You know, to answer your question directly, yes, it's awkward. Um, But, you know, ultimately that's a decision he made, and we've got an unbelievable field here this week and a history and tradition that one of these 144 is going to go seek to get. Some players made a choice of going to a different golf league knowing that they weren't going to be allowed to play here. And yes,
0: this is a massive event. It's very very close to a major quality event, but still a
2: PGA Tour event. So uh, with that regard, no. right? He, he's, I don't think just him should be allowed to be here.
0: Evan Priest is on duty at this tournament. He's the PGA Tour reporter for Golf Digests. We've spoken to him a couple of times in the past. He was in that press conference. In fact, he was asking some of the key questions. Evan, it's great to have you back on the program.
1: Thank you, Jared. It's good to be here, live at TPC Sawgrass, getting ready for a... Massive players championship elevated, you know, twenty five million dollar purse. Nice work if you can get it, and uh, <laughs> it's all fired up, albeit without the defending champion. But the show must go on, and uh, it's yeah, looking forward to a good week.
0: It's been such an interesting build up, which you will have lived firsthand. We've been watching it here. There's been extensive coverage, and then we've just played some of the the commissioner's press conference. More than a, an hour of of questions regarding. Um, the, the current state of the USPGA and, and Liv's influence and all. Put us inside inside that press conference, Evan.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting one. He, he, he fielded a, a range of questions from reporters from all topics, from, you know, obviously, Liv Golf to the schedule changes, which are quite drastic, that are coming into effect for the top players and the top um, events next year. Um, at, at times, it was, you know, a little bit tense, but it was probably... You know, he he was probably thinking he got he got off lightly in terms of the the, the grilling from the press room, um, and uh, he sort of he released some details, but some questions sort of remain about how these that the top you know twelve events on the PGA Tour are going to look and feel next year. But uh, there was also a question from myself about you know just the the complications of not having the defending champion, our own Cam Smith. Um, not being here, having to plan an event without the defending champion being there, but also the fact that he lives in the area, just, just what that's like for the PGA Tour commissioner. And uh, I thought he handled that answer well enough. He, he said that, yes, he acknowledged the truth, that, yes, it's a little bit awkward, but at the same time, you know, he'll always be the player's champion, um, and we celebrated his win, and it's just sort of we have to move on from here and, and, and focus on who is he.
0: So it felt like there was sort of the element of state of the nation about it. How fascinating are you finding this phase in golf around reform that is coming? There's clearly influence from the rebel faction. How are you reading it all?
1: Yeah, I think positively. I think, um, you know, whether you like live golf or not, it, you have to acknowledge the role that it's played in reshaping the TPA Tour and, and for the better, um, you know, the, the prizes are up and, players are getting together more often, and it's been one of the more interesting um, sort of periods in golf, modern professional golf. It's for, for a long time the the media pack were worried about how how do we sustain the interest in golf, uh, you know, in the post Tiger Woods era, especially now that he's he's that heavily injured. He's only basically playing the majors and going forward. How do, how are we going to create interest in, in golf? How do we get non golfers sort of paying attention to what's happening on the major tours of professional golf? And 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 live live golf came along and sort of caused a massive divide that's got everyone in every household around the world talking about this huge fracture in professional golf and and the drama and and who's jumped across to live golf. And it's it's been a fascinating time. Probably never a better time to be a golf writer, to be really honest. There's never been more interesting stories to cover. So I I really don't see an issue. And I I sort of have really enjoyed the past 12, 18 months.
0: It was interesting to listen to Rory McIlroy. It was yesterday who has been the most strident. And he did... He really did feel like he softened his position, acknowledging the the good that would be done from um from a setup that that he has really um stridently opposed.
1: Exactly. you know I, you're right, he's been the most vocal critic of of loop golf and and obviously just just hates the idea of it. But he also is a realist I don't think the PGA Tour would have reshaped itself the way it has unless it was for the threat of that live golf coming along. So he And, and he knows that, you know, without that, that, the purses might not be up. They wouldn't be getting the top players getting together as often as they are this year and next year, and, and they wouldn't have innovated the product. They keep calling it the product uh, as much as they have it. You know, competition forces innovation and change, and that's exactly what's happened in professional golf. And I think... Everyone's the better off for it. Those who have golf, and also those who have stayed on the PGA Tour, they're, they're playing for almost live money. So it's been, you know, all around the, the changes have been positively received and it's, it's sort of a fascinating time to be involved in professional golf.
0: Yeah, so is there broad acceptance of what the PGA has planned with, with the changes to cuts at the feature tournaments and the like?
1: No, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, certainly for the top players and for the fans, uh, it, it's a win. You're obviously going to get, you're going to know what what events the top players are playing next year, how much they're playing for. Um, that, that also helps the networks negotiate TV deals. It helps the tournament sponsors. Um, and it creates certainly a buzz and, and just a high quality leaderboard almost week on week. But in terms of the rank and file players, they're not happy with, you know, obviously a, a bunch of top players kind of deciding their fate, if you will. But at the same time, I think the PGA tour for too long was was too democratic and allowed some of the lower players who aren't bringing any dollars or any ticket sales through the door to have too much of a say, and, and they had too much of a voting right. Whereas it, it, it was getting, it, it needed to be the the power needed to be put back in the in the court of the uh, of the top players who really do bring those TV sponsorship yeah, sponsorship deals, TV deals, and and fans through the gates. And I think now that you're seeing, you're going to see what really will be two tours on the PGA Tour and, and, and probably for a better, but also at the same time, you know, those, those rank and file players, they'll be, they'll be able to play their way into these top events and it will create interest among those kind of lesser events in between these little gaps of huge events um, and it kind of creates another storyline for the uh, fans to get behind it.
0: So, Evan, this edition of the players, this was the tournament that had progressively been anointed as the fifth major. You point out it is without its defending champion. I think it's five of the top ten from last year. Is this the tournament that gets hurt most by the split, knowing that the full fields will be there for the majors?
1: Yes, yes, correct. For so long, it was really looking like this was becoming the fifth major championship, um, and but it's, it's sort of now feels like it's maybe te- taken a step back in terms of the majors have, have remained Switzerland, they've remained impartial, and at least for this year, they won't ban with golfers. And now that, you know, there's a clear line of demarcation between the majors and the players' championship, which is probably not a good thing for the tournament. And also, to, to what you just said, you're correct, five of the top ten from last year's leaderboard including in the top three, Cameron Smith, Anabhan Lahiri and Paul Casey, but also 31 golfers from last year's Players Championship, are now playing on leaf golf, and that's that's a huge chunk of the tournament. 144 players, and and of those, you no know, 31 have gone to a rival tour. That that's massive, and, and obviously among those 31, our own Cameron Smith, the legend himself, the defending champion. Um, you know, living 15 minutes away, but not not teeing it up as a defending champion. So, uh, it's it's did it, it, it was a bit of a, a hit to the tournament for sure, but. At the same time there's still nine of the top ten players in the world are in the field this week. It's still gonna have that star power. It just it'll just be missing the interest from the likes of, you know, Cameron Smith and Bruce Kepker and Dustin Johnson and some of those star players that we love watching especially
0: for the Aussies. Yes, yes. So tell me this, Evan, it's been such an interesting year already. There's the Dubai tournament, so Rory and Patrick Reid, and then we've got the players where the the lead up as this has been all the debate and the discussion. What do you think the environment and the prevailing mood is going to be at the majors as this year unfolds and the fields come back together?
1: Yeah, I I think to answer your question, in the short version, it would be Early in the week, and then as soon as the tournament tees off, quite you know, back to normal. But then, like we saw in Dubai, there was there was obviously a lot of tension pre-tournament when, when Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed had a bit of a, you know, awkward sitting there when, when Rory didn't acknowledge Patrick Reed's greetings on the driving range. But at the same time, it then it then cools down. And then if two two um, rival players, you know, one from the PGA Tour and one from Move Golf, do end up having to be at the top of the leaderboard. It creates, you know, must-watch television, really. That, that final round in Dubai was absolutely incredible for sports fans. Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed going head-to-head and Rory McIlroy coming out on top. And if that shakes out at, you know, arguably the biggest golf tournament in the world, the Masters, or, you know, the, or the Open Championship for that matter, it'll be absolutely massive. But on top of that, just the interest um, in that 17 lead golfers will be playing in the Masters. And of those, you know, there's several former champions of the Masters, like Bubba Watson, Charles Schwartzel, um, and Sergio Garcia and a few other guys. and That in itself creates mini-awkwardness, you know, among the champions' dinner where the, the past champions get together and have a very closed-doors dinner and celebration and a few red wines. So it's going to be really interesting. And if anything, it just makes the majors that much more special and interesting and sort of um, essential viewing.
0: And the battle for superiority, do you think each tour will... Well, it's hard to imagine not using it as some level of propaganda if Liv was to produce one of these major champions this year and, and probably vice versa, the sense of superiority of the PGA if, if their players are, are able to win these titles.
1: It's a difficult one. You know, obviously, I don't think one Liv golfer winning a major championship would be any form of superiority. What I would say is it would definitely help Liv live Golf's cause if one of their guys does end up winning one of the four major championships because it would sort of prove that, you know, these guys are still great players. Even though they've left arguably the most competitive golf tournament or golf tour, I should say, in the world, if they could still compete at the major championship level, it sort of speaks volumes of, okay, well, obviously the Live Golf is a good enough training ground for the majors. uh, And if they don't win, I I do think that would maybe, some fans would feel like Live Golf has maybe taken a step backwards in that sense. So that, that's, that's a very interesting battleground that you, that you bring up, um, you know, in terms of Live Golf versus PGA Tour. Those four majors are going to be really interesting to watch as they unfold, whether, whether you know, Live Golf can sort of stake its claim as um, arguably one of the best tours in the world.
0: And what you're about to see is Sawgrass has such a hold on us. Anyone who had the the computer systems growing up and played PGA golf, our favourite hole, our favourite course was always Sawgrass. So oh, I love watching it in action across this week. Seven Australians in the field. Jason Day looks looks resurgent at the moment. What what are you what are you anticipating this week? Uh,
1: from the Australians, I'm I'm lucky to say I'm really feeling Jason Day at the moment. He's coming in hot hot off, I think it's four straight top 10s on the PGA Tour. So he's he's really finding some of that form that saw him, you know, absolutely dominate in 2015 and 16. Um, and, and this is, of course, uh, a tournament that he won back when it was in May and it was a little hotter and, and maybe firmer and faster back then. But uh, now that it's back in the calendar month of March, it's a different golf course. But at the same time, Jason Day has all those good vibes here. He won here in 2016. He opened with a course record equaling 63 and, and really set the place on fire. So... I, I, I like him as our leading Aussie this week, but we've got some great prospects. You know, we've got Harrison Endicott, is a really promising up-and-coming player from Sydney. He, he's really loving the fact that he's here for the first time. And, and, of course, Adam Scott, who won here in 2004, he's always got good vibes here. And I think he's had uh, about 50% of his staff at TPC Sawgrass have been top 10. So it's a place that he loves. It rewards his elite ball striking, and I think our seven Aussies are going to do us proud this week. Terrific.
0: Evan, it's great of you to take our call. I really appreciate it to get your insights ahead of this week and on the the broader uh, landscape of golf, which is utterly fascinating at the moment. Enjoy the tournament.
1: Thank you, Gerard. Thanks for having us on.
0: Evan Priest on the ground at Sawgrass, PGA Tour reporter for Golf Digest.